0: Hey, seasoned athletes. I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 20 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from elite athletes from a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The day after I ran the Spartan Race World Championships in Tahoe at the beginning of October, I went back to the race festival and looked for people to talk to for the podcast. It was there that I found a woman with a super inspiring story, and I knew I had to have her on the show. Today's main interview is with that woman, adaptive athlete and obstacle racer, Karen Porter. But first, let's meet this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. The Everyday Seasoned Athlete segment is where we share firsthand stories from athletes who are over age 40 and represent a wide variety of backgrounds and athletic experience. My goal through the stories these athletes share in their own words is to inspire you to get out and try something new. I also met this week's strong, awesome, everyday seasoned athlete at the Spartan Race World Championship Festival. Let's get to know Sonia Elias.
1: My name is Sonia Elias. I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I'm 42 years old, and I am absolutely in love with Spartan Racing. I had been in the triathlon world a little bit before, but OCRs have become my love, and... Honestly, I do this because I can. Because I look at all the people who can't do it because of something mentally, physically, life situations, whatever it is. And I am just so happy that I am healthy and I want to savor being strong and being young and I want to empower other women and support other women. And I want to be a strong woman who lifts other women up. Surround yourself with really badass women who don't accept no as an answer, who don't subscribe to society's notion of women getting older and women not being powerful. And surround yourself with strong men, too, who can handle women being strong and lift them up and push them further and not accept them being any less than they're supposed to be as well. My name is Sonia Elias, and I am a seasoned athlete. If
0: you'd like to tell your everyday seasoned athlete story in a future episode, visit seasonedathlete.me everyday and tell us a little bit about yourself. And now it's time to meet this week's featured seasoned athlete, a woman who refuses to place limits on herself. Meet registered dietitian, adaptive athlete, and obstacle racer, Karen Porter. Hi, Karen. Hi, Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? Let's do it. You are Karen Porter, an adaptive obstacle racing athlete and U.S. Army veteran living in Atlanta, Georgia. This year, you qualified for the pro round of the U.S. OCR Championships, the Spartan Race World Championships, as well as the OCR World Championships. You are the only known adaptive athlete to qualify pro for each of these events. You regularly compete against the best of the best in the elite or pro divisions of obstacle Horse races, And most of your fellow racers have no idea the challenges you face to compete side by side with them. You welcome any and all challenges and lead by example that we can accomplish anything we set our minds to and work hard to achieve. Is there anything vital personally, professionally or from your athletic life that you'd like to take a quick moment to fill in? That was fantastic. I'm a little floored. Well, it's all you. So from here, I'm going to ask the big question that I ask all my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? I am 42 years old. Fantastic. So let's start from the beginning. When did you start playing sports and what did your early athletic life look like? I
2: grew up on a farm in Mississippi, so I didn't do a lot of organized sports when I was growing up. And I really didn't become very athletic until after my military experience. So I thought like running was like dental. You only did it when you had to kind of thing. And then after doing it for so long, it really gets ingrained into you. And I really loved it. And so I've been able to do athletics now um, after my kids have grown and kind of rekindled what I learned through my experience as a runner and getting into the athletic stuff um, early on. Um, But not through like childhood. So it, it came and evolved through the years.
0: Your time in the military, is that what started it? Did you basically have to be athletic? at that time?
2: Yes. Whether you wanted to or not, you had military standards for physical fitness and I had never been a runner. I never tried to run one mile. I didn't know what that was about. I certainly cannot swim. I still to this day can't swim. Um, But for the military standard, you would have to do a two minute push-up, two minute sit up and a two mile run. And I maxed out that test after training through basic training. I maxed out that test and became a master fitness instructor with the military. Um, And then I rekindled that that kind of viver later. Now at that time I was doing five minute miles and I was quite young. I'm not quite that young anymore. Um, I've got kids older than what I was at that time. Um, I don't run that pace anymore. I don't intend to return to that pace um, but I do love running now and I do it purely for fun and joy and it's kind of my happy place.
0: And that's the great thing about as you get older it's like the standards can be different. You don't have to run that five minute mile. You don't have to expect yourself to run that five minute mile. But there are new benchmarks that you achieve when you're older. And there's a new kind of mental clarity that comes when you're older to be okay with that. I think it's different when it's also for joy and not from a mandate. It's finding that thing, finding that thing that's yours, that really can help elevate what you do as an athlete. And for everybody, it can it can be a different thing. But finding that one thing and it sounds like running was the catalyst for you.
2: It's been one of the the main threads that have gone for the longest longevity. I actually participate in three different sports. I do road running, trail running. And I actually before OCR was a bodybuilder. So a female bodybuilder from a strength standpoint, and then an endurance girl from a running standpoint. And I had um, clients that came into my office with this brand new fangled OCR sport. And they're like, do you understand what I'm talking about? And I'm like, Hmm. And I kept trying to put it into a category of my bodybuilders. And I kept trying to put it in a category of my runners. And they're like, no, it's kind of an amalgamation of both. And they're like, maybe you should try it. And they're like, if you've already got the strength and you've already got the speed, you'd be phenomenal at this. So they come out and test it and then help me with my nutrition while I do that as my sport. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I like this. And it became the middle road of both. So to be a runner girl, and a weightlifter girl and then saying, okay, it's cute if you have shoulder caps, but now can you function? Can you make it over monkey bars? Can you climb a rope with those cute little shoulder caps? Can you (laughs) function and do something with it? I'm like, ooh, this changes the game for me. And so I was introduced through my clients, not through sport itself.
0: I had never heard of OCR. Before they started coming into my office for sports nutrition advice, I love that it's like it kind of melded all of your strengths because it really obstacle racing demands an all around athlete. You can't just be a good runner. You can't just be a good strength athlete. You have to be able to do it all at constantly varying times, at varying degrees. And it sounds like it really played into your skill sets that you had built over time. And I enjoy it. So as I mentioned in your intro, you are an adaptive athlete. Can you talk about what it is, what is an adaptive athlete, and what classifies you as an adaptive athlete? Absolutely. And most people may not understand the term adaptive athlete. Adaptive is a
2: word that we are hoping to replace the word handicapped. So most people might understand the term, I'm a handicapped athlete. And so we would much prefer, instead of it sounding more derogatory as in we're limited, is that we're adaptive athletes, as we can adapt to the challenges that we face and continue to live life to the fullest. So some adaptive athletes that most people might recognize overtly may have missing limbs. They may be blind or deaf or have single amputee, W amputee, or anything like that. So when I show up to a course, most people would never even venture to ask, am I an adaptive athlete? Because visually I have all four limbs and I'm clearly able to speak and hear. Um, So I have missing organs under the Paralympic standard. I am classified as a non aesthetic, non mechanical adaptive athlete. So what I have is I have a missing kidney, and my remaining kidney is in stage 3 failure. I have a catastrophic lung injury and a heart valve defect, and half of my joints are blown through military service. So I have a permanently dislocated shoulder, and I have no knee cartilage. And then my feet have been reconstructed, oh, a dozen times in in the way that I go off in the metal detectors in the airport. Um, So there are some of my parts I would like to jokingly say are still under warranty. (laughs) um kind of thing so I have missing organs so handicap means that you have a challenge that you have to overcome to complete the same task that everybody else has to do so we're saying we are doing tasks that are athletically driven in our sport of choice and that we have to work harder to accomplish those same tasks so I have to work with one lung and one kidney when I am running on a race beyond just my joints. So just the missing organs alone. So people go, well, you've got a missing foot. You're an adaptive athlete. You've got missing organs. You're fine. You look fine. Keep going. There's no problem with you. I would challenge anyone to take the mountains that we take on um, in our Spartan races or our OCR races, whether you're doing Battle Frog or Tough Mudder, when they find a double diamond, double black diamond hill for us to go up, I would challenge anyone to do that with a single lung and tell me that it is not a increased effort required to do so. Um, And that's just from the lung standpoint. And having kidney failure, most people do not know what that might mean. They're like, okay, you've got a missing organ. Kidneys regulate your temperature and your pH and your blood pressure. As a runner, my running resting pulse, my resting pulse just sitting here while we're talking now is probably a 48 48 to 52 is a normal for me. My blood pressure as a healthy, healthy, healthy individual, and I still consider myself a healthy individual, is running probably a 140 over 90. So I have the effects, the physical effects of my body of high blood pressure Well, having a low resting pulse, and it is the weirdest thing to feel in your body that you can. And then when I'm doing road races, where this weekend it will start at a 50 degree temperature and then will rise to 70, that already is an issue for me to maintain a core temperature at the start of a race and then get your body moving running a mountain and then getting overheated. And then they're going to run us through a water dunk where they've just dug a hole filled it with water. And that water may be, I don't know, 40, 50 degrees. It hasn't warmed through thermal temperature because it hasn't had the opportunity to. So I'm going to go from cold to hot, to cold, to hot, to cold, to hot. And my body goes, I'm out. I'm done. I can't do it. Um, So to try to regulate blood pressure during a run, temperature during a run, lung and oxygen saturation during a run, it's quite hard And the point is, I'm not going to let it stop me. So I have a lot of people that do make jokes and I have no problem because with racers, we all have a great sense of humor. The ones that I do adore in our community, we have a fantastic community. They make jokes about it and they're like, oh, it sounds absolutely ridiculous. And yes, it does. (laughs) And we're able to poke fun at it and anything else and keep going about our day. But I think the word that's come up most is it sounds like a dying walrus. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if somebody comes up alongside me, it sounds like a dying walrus. Please go make jokes about that. It is totally fine by me because it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. Um and I had an elite runner, run up and they're like, Oh my gosh, are you okay? I'm like, This is what it sounds like to run with one lung.
0: I was going to ask you to explain what it's like. It's hard for anyone who has two healthy lungs and two working kidneys to really understand. And you and I both ran the same race in Tahoe uh, several weeks back, the Spartan Race World Championships. I ran that with two healthy lungs and two healthy kidneys. And that was a hard race. That was a really hard race. It was, you know, around 17 miles up at elevation. They made a swim in 43 degree water. There were multiple heavy carries. Uh, it was about as hard as I've experienced in Spartan Race. And I definitely felt the challenge of it. Like it, well, you felt taxed. It was very taxing. But it's hard for me to understand what your experience is without you saying, well, I sound like a dying walrus. Now I understand it at least a little bit better. And what made Tahoe even more taxing was it was 17.62.
2: I love numbers. And it had the elevation started at 6,200 square feet and went up 4,500 square feet at any given jaunt up and down that mountain. And we went up it twice. Um, and we went up that double uh, double black diamond incline that we did. The problem is starting at that elevation was already more of an effort on a lung, two lungs. So you can tell me from your experience what that was at the higher elevation with the incline, how it impacted the breathing. And by run, I think you used run pretty liberal in that sense because there was a whole lot of walking. Oh, yeah. No, mostly the downhill was the running, not the uphill. And I I had a safety with me at Tahoe. There was a lot of concern because of the elevation, because of the cold water swim, that if I hit that cold water, I wasn't coming out of it, that there was no way for me to regulate my temperature to come back up. Either while in the water or while coming back out. Um, And I did overheat and I did freeze several times going in and out um, at Tahoe, but I was allowed first ever to have a medic shadow me the entire 17.62 miles of Tahoe. And he just followed behind me and he had 25. Um, pounds of gear in a rucksack in case it was needed. And here's the thing. As a pro athlete, if he touched me for any reason, I was disqualified from that round. And it was important for me to make history to be the first ever adaptive athlete to finish the pro round of the Spartan World Championship. Um, And he commented, when they finally gave us a downhill, he goes, girl, and gazelle on me. (laughs) And I literally lost that for three miles. Because the thing is, I love to run. And when I was given the opportunity to run, I went for it. And he was, I saw you at the bottom of the hill and I could do nothing to catch up with you until I hit the bottom of the hill.
0: Right. Like here's hoping you were okay during that because he couldn't do anything for
2: you. We had done strategy for months and months and months because it was very important for me to make sure that I was safe. I, it was important for me to make sure that I ran other races. I could not leave everything just on one pro round of the Spartan World Championship. And it was important for me to finish that race. But safety is always first. So we had done strategy for months and months and months about what the elevation might do, what would the temperature might do, what could he do if certain things happened. Um, and so he was prepared for those things in case of an emergency. Um, and we had already passed the point where all of the safety concerns had pretty much passed all of the water dunks had happened and we knew it was downhill. And he always said, whatever your pace is, you do what you need to do. I will be behind you. Don't even look back. You run your race. And I did. I went for it and I didn't find him for about three, about three miles at the end.
0: And what did it mean for you to complete this race?
2: It's huge. Absolutely huge to me. Um, and the thing is, I don't think it's ever going to be repeated. They are now removing, they are changing the, the Spartan rules on going into the pro round and how the pro round is going to run next year. Yeah. So it is a first and it's a chance that it might be the last, but it was huge personally to me. And having um, to me my favorite Spartan on the planet, his name is Robert Killian. He's a he's also a veteran um, of the U S army. And he is an obstacle course racer. And in Tahoe, he took third male for the day. So he won third. Um, this year he won third last year and he won it Tahoe, la- uh, the year prior. Um, he is my favorite Spartan on the, um, race course. And he had made a vow prior to coming in that he would be available at the finish line to give me my medal. And he was, When I came through the Alpine Village in the last half mile going into the finish line, he was there and he goes, hey, lady, I've been waiting on you. The smile on my face when he was as good as his word. And I had no doubt, but he had no idea when I would be finishing and he had other obligations to do for the day. So my favorite Spartan was there and waiting for me at the finish line. And he did, in fact, give me my medal, which is just to me even more special than being the first is to be honored by your peers, for not succumbing to the challenges that might hold somebody else back from competing. And and I just felt honored that my friend would do that for me. Um, And there's so many things. By having a medic sign up to go through 17 miles, by having the number one Spartan, my favorite Spartan, be there for me, to have my entire pit crew come and be there and be available, to hold cold weather gear until I got to the start line, to have cold weather gear when I was at the finish line, to have food available. I mean, no one ever is on a course all by themselves. My pit crew was there and in full force. All the pros that lined up to start on that start line that was giving me words of encouragement and high fives and hugs and pep talks. Some of my favorites were there and we literally had little powwows going in. We got this, we got this, we got this, we got this. There's so much that happened and it was so big, but so much of it was so very personal for me that we haven't
0: even made many announcements about the accomplishment yet. I appreciate you sharing it with me um, because it sounds like you haven't shared it, but perhaps you're sharing it here first. And I like hearing it firsthand in your voice. And I think I think that will be meaningful for people. So off the course, and you touched upon it a little bit, you're a registered dietitian. You own Roswell Nutrition. As both an adaptive athlete and an over 40 athlete, what role has nutrition played in your success on the race course?
2: I think nutrition is paramount to life and to sports. And I think that's probably true of every age. But I do know that our challenges multiply as we age. And every day past our 20s, it gets harder. Mm-hmm. It gets harder. And the thing is, I would, I would prefer people to be prophylactic as into can we be preventative as opposed to, wait, I have to deal with high blood pressure or high cholesterol or other issues that can plague the body that would now inhibit athletic endeavors. I would prefer it to be I'm well and I would like to perform better, but we don't always get that choice. And like with me, I am well, but then I do have medical challenges Um, So those have to be taken into account. My nutrition is probably 10 times more complicated than probably any other uh, client that I would ever have, medical or athlete. Um, So I think nutrition is huge. um, And I get people that contact my office, either for medical as a registered dietitian or as a sports dietitian for the athletic performance. I'm here. Help me get to the next level. Um, I think it's, it's impactful for both. And people go, oh, I've got a very complicated case. I'm like, I specialize in complicated. Bring it on. Yeah. Try me. Try me. Try me, try me, try me, try me. And and I'm not the perfect dietitian for everyone. Um, But I do find those that do have the complicated things that come to me. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, I have a point of reference for that. Bring it on. Or I've helped others either through my own challenges or through the challenges of, of the many, 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 many clients that I've seen through their challenges medical, or performance. And I do find the joy in seeing them succeed hugely rewarding. If you see somebody almost reverse their diabetes, and and that's not the truest clinical term, or you see somebody go from age group to elite, you see somebody go from top 10% to top 5% kind of thing. When you see those things, when you have your phone going off on any given weekend, I PR'd on my 5K, or I ran for the first time without stopping for a full mile. Those are the joys that I get of constant, I did it, 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 and you're like, yes, yes. Because in my work, I'm only successful if others are successful. And the success is my payoff.
0: Heck yeah. Speaking of success, for those looking to get into obstacle racing or be successful at obstacle racing, and this may be a loaded question, what is the best piece of nutritional advice that you could give to those people? Carbs. (laughs) (laughs) Carbs are your friend. Carbs are not an enemy.
2: I think eat, eat often. Um, So many times we eat. People look at eating as, oh, it should be limited. People look at at food as like weight loss and restrictive. And for any sport, most sports, I think it should be for performance. It is for your endeavor. So for me, it's not a limit, but it's how much can I get in to do what I'm about to do? And it can't be. I I see so many chat rooms and boards and groups that go, oh, it's pre-race day, and today's a pre-race day. Hydrate. No, it's too late. What do I eat now? No, it's too late. But I think it has to be a more dynamic program than that. You can't train the day of and the day before, and you certainly can't hydrate or fuel the day of and the day before. And I really wish that that message would get out. To any sport, have a full-on plan for your preseason, your training season, and your peak season to how the food, water, and exercise should go together to maximize all of those things. And I don't think people have a plan in life or in sports.
0: Right. And you touched on two really good points there. First is that culturally, there's a lot of stigma associated with food and especially in the fitness industry in that, it, you know, food is associated with weight loss and limiting and cutting. And people don't normally think about food as fuel, fueling the engine, fueling what you need to do in your day-to-day life, fueling what you need to do on a race course or in a sport. And so it definitely takes a shift in thinking for a lot of people who have just been bombarded with information that says otherwise. And then your point about how we would never think about playing a sport or trying a competitive event and only training the day before. Like, that's ludicrous, right? And anybody who would be listening to this would think that's ludicrous. And yet people think, oh, yeah, you got to hydrate the day before. You got to have your pre-race meal. You got to have your carb load. And and that's what you got to do. But it's an ongoing thing, just like your training. I wish carbs had the same PR director that Protein did. <laughs> yeah. who's Who handled PR for Protein? Carbs need to hire that guy. Yes. Because it's just it's become such a dirty word. And it's so... Not when it comes to athletic and sport. It is the it is the provider of energy for your body if you need to use your body to do work. Yes. My little hashtag is food should happen. Food should happen. I like that. So we talked about challenges you faced as an adaptive athlete. What types of unique challenges or benefits do you find you encounter as an older athlete training and competing at this high level?
2: Hmm. That's a fantastic question. I don't know that I've ever considered it. I, I would like to to believe, and it may or may not be true, that there's a wisdom and a patience. And I am not known to be a patient person. Let me start with that. But I can come in in a very low ranking and still think, ah, oh, that was good. And I know as a younger person, I would have been, ah, it's got to be top five or nothing. It's got to be top five or nothing. So I think there would have been an inflexibility in thinking in that. And I think there, there are days where you go, mm, joints just didn't work, lungs just didn't work, things didn't work. It's just didn't work. And I did everything that I could. So I think there is a patience and a reverence there that I might not have had as a young hothead going in. Um, But I'm not typically known for my patience. But I think there's a certain amount of that that comes. And I think maybe a forgiveness when I'm not necessarily a top five for the day or when I don't necessarily hit certain goals. Now, I know there are certain benchmarks within a given race, a, a particular obstacle or a particular sequence that I'm wanting to hit. And if I don't hit that, I might not have that given forgiveness. And that's an internal thing. Again, I'm, I start on the personal level of what my personal goals were, um, first and foremost. And then I strive from there on. Then I compare to other things. Um, so I think a personal forgiveness comes from the wisdom and the age and going, you know, it just wasn't my day or it just wasn't my whatever. And we're letting that walk away and say, so, you know what? I do live to race another day and I'll have the joy of racing another day. Sometimes having an awful, awful, awful performance and go, my goodness, did you see how gorgeous that mountain was? To take in those moments in appreciation. Um, and there are other times people go, did you see how gorgeous the mountain was? And I'm like, no, my nose was down. I was racing. What are you talking about mountain? So I see it both ways on occasions. I don't know. I think as an older racer, I think we most of the time have more challenges than others. You got the joints that don't work. I mean, I don't think we're old. I think we're just crispy because we come with sound effects.
0: I like that. We're just like a walking movie studio Foley
2: operator. A lot of times I say, well, I just have duct tape and, you know, mud holding me together. And some days it's a lot of duct tape. And by duct tape, I mean, athletic tape. Yeah. But I'm from the South. We put everything together with duct tape. That's right. So I do think that we have to do a triage every morning. Ah, which joint needs to be taped today? Which, you know, bones are working? Where are the muscles going? You know, where's the energy level? You know, am I able to switch gears when I go to run? You know, how am I able to personally perform? I think we come with as many challenges as benefits as we get older. And I don't think that's an appreciation we had when we were younger. We're young and you think you're invincible. Um, And I did a lot of things when I thought I was invincible. And I've come to the realization, no, those parts aren't under warranty anymore. That's right. Um, And then there's the wear and tear that comes. And then there are the additional things that we've got to do through wear and tear and things that, that break down. So I have challenges as an older athlete that I would have if I'm not adaptive. If you add the layer of complexity of me being an adaptive athlete, just from the joint standpoint, just from the old, I don't like to say we're old, we're seasoned, we're seasoned, uh, well seasoned at some points, you know, that I, I think that we do have to work harder. I do think that things don't come as naturally and as free anymore um, for us. So I think we have to work harder. And I think that's where you see the older athletes with so much heart and so much joy out of it, because we do get to race another day. We have that. "Mm -hmm." I could show what this old body still has. We don't get to show it. We just get to do it. We get to live it. We get to be it. We are out there doing it. And I think that's it. We're doing it. And we have avenues now to do it. I mean, when you think about the Olympics, the Olympics is known as a young person sport. Very rarely do you get to see like a a Dara Torres, you know, in the 30s and the 40s out there performing at that level. We now have sports that can give us that venue and that genre to be able to compete and compete well. So I think there's a lot of blessings that have come with the evolution of sports to be able to do it.
0: Yeah, and to have the opportunities, Opportunities as older athletes, and that's what I'm experiencing in the show. I talked, I I find myself talking to a lot of runners, triathletes, and obstacle racers because I think those types of events and sports provide a lot of opportunities for older athletes, and more and more uh, older athletes are taking advantage of that.
2: Bravo! And I want more of us to do it. And you here's too. The thing. We have forgotten, and I say we, and I believe this is a society, I'm concerned that so many have forgotten how to play. Yes. We play. I mean, it's monkey bars. When we were six, we did monkey bars like it was nothing, not a single thought. Do you know how hard it was to relearn monkey bars? I do. I do know how hard it was. (laughs) And then we go out and people go, what do you do? You play in the mud? What do you mean mud? We play and we play and we compete. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, why not be at an age where you still can be physically active and do it at a high level and still enjoy it? Play. I think that's a lost art is, in fact, play. And I think that should tie into the fitness to where we don't just age, but we age beautifully. And we have fun. And
0: have fun. So before we go today, and I feel like I could talk to you for another hour, seriously, it's been fantastic talking to you. Do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you've learned in your competitive journey that you'd like to share with our listeners?
2: Yeah. And it's going to sound probably cliche, but don't have limits. We all sit and go, well, I, I have people come into my office and they go, I'm 30. I can't do blank. I can't do blank. Oh, oh 30. Really? I can't, and I can't, and I can't, and my half-joking example would be, I've got a hangnail. I can't go to the track. I can't go for a swim. I can't, whatever. And, and yes, that's slightly flippant to say I have a hangnail, but take any excuse that you might want to put in there. Ah, oh, my knee's a little bum. Oh, I've got a little arthritis. Oh, I'm, you know, blank. I'm tired. I'm tired today. I'm tired. I've got kid. I've got work. I've got, you know, we all life. Life is obstacles. All life is obstacles. But we all have these things that we would like to fill in the blank, that we would like to presuppose is a limitation. And I'm so concerned that there are so many of them are self-imposed limitations, whether it's psychosomatic or not. Are they physically, really, truly a limitation? And yes, I, in fact, do have limitations. I have limitations to my ability to regulate blood pressure. I have limitations to my ability to regulate temperature. I have limitations to the range of motion that my knee, my shoulder, my feet would do limitations to the amount of pace I'm able to maintain at at this point. We do in fact have limitations that should be respected, but I'm always wanting to push that boundary ever so slightly. I go within my medical guidelines and I have five doctors and I am consulting with them at all times and I need them to endorse my tomfoolery. So I do go by their endorsements. So I do go by my limitations while trying to find the outer edge of that, and push it ever so slightly, and I have been able to push those limits. Previously, I was only allowed to go 10 miles. I was able to clear medically to go to 13 miles to train for beast and half marathons, otherwise I would have never been able to do the Tahoe World Championship. Well, a beast in Spartan is a 12 to 14 mile race. 13 is right, slap dab in the middle. This one ended up being 17.62. So again, I went to my outer limit while being medically supervised for that. But my advice is to accept no limits. Find where that is and have no limits. Don't self-inflict limitations. I'm respectful of boundaries, but I don't want to succumb to superficial, artificial limits placed on myself or by others to what we can do, what we should do. Try it. Try it. Don't automatically have the default position as no and automatically superimpose that limit. I want us to live life and live sports with a no limits idea. While being safe, I'm not saying be reckless in any way, but really challenge the belief system. I can't. Is that true? Is it not true? Is it real? Okay, you have no leg. You probably cannot go do a full marathon on two legs. You don't have one, whether you have a prosthetic or not. So I've got somebody doing the marathon right now. They're in route right now to the Marine Corps Marathon. They'll be doing it as a hand cycle. So no, they no longer have a running career in front of them. They've evolved into hand cycling. Whatever that may be. And that's where the adaption is. That's where it's an adaptive athlete. We want that to be empowering. Handicapped means like it doesn't work. Like your car can be disabled on the side of the road. It doesn't work. We're saying we are able. We just have to adapt and then find a new way. We don't want the limit. We don't want the idea of I can't put on there. So no limits would be
0: my advice for life or for sports. No limits. And I know it sounds so cliche. No limits. But I think how you said it was so important that especially in your situation, you respect your limitations, but you do not accept self-imposed limits. You do not place limits on yourself. And I think that's an important thing for you to say. And I think those of us who are not adaptive athletes can learn from adaptive athletes like you, who the, the whole concept of adapting, the whole concept that life requires us to adapt in a lot of different ways in a lot of different times. And it's how we choose to kind of attack that, that defines us. And so talking about the runner who is now a hand cyclist who can still compete and can still push boundaries. Like there are all, there are adaptations that any of us and many adaptations that many of us have to make in life and often in sport. And so I think there's a lot that non-adaptive athletes can learn from your story as an adaptive athlete.
2: And there are, this is in sports, there are many sports that are adapting and they are adaptive sports. There are sports, whether they're in the Paralympics or not, that are able, and CrossFit's one of those, CrossFit has found a division to be able to allow them to be able to have a playing field by which to play and to compete. There are some adaptive athletes that would like a completely separate, altogether sport or regulation or rules or guidelines to go by. There are some, and they require that. Um, And there are the Paralympics for that very reason. I would like a world to where if you choose the Paralympics or the Olympics, that you get your choice. I would like to choose for those who it's their personal desire to not have to go to the Paralympics. We, I mean, we had the African runner who did, on his blades, go to the full, full-on Olympics. He had that option. You get to choose. And I do think there are some that would like to compete against the best of the best and see how they rank. Sometimes they get outranked, and that's okay, too. But to play at the highest level and to participate at the highest level, and again, no limit. that If that's your choice, that's where you go. That's where you do it. And if you do need to, in fact, go to a different division, that those are opportunities that are available. So I am honored that sports are adapting in that way. I want adaptive athletes and non-adaptive athletes to accept us into both ranks equally, if at all possible.
0: And you're showing that it can be done, at least in the obstacle racing world. And the thing is, I, I
2: really want others to also know not all wounds are visible. You cannot see my adaptation. I'm considered a visible adaption. You cannot see my missing organs. You cannot see my organ failures. And here's where people have made the distinction. They're like, oh, but you run elite, so you can't be adaptive. Hmm. My blind gentleman that I race with went into the elite. He, he worked on his skills, and he went into the elite round. And I says, oh, well, he's no longer an adaptive athlete than according to your definition, because now he ran elite. How does that go? So I do want people to have an open mind about what it is to be adaptive and that it's not all visible. So not all wounds are visible. So you can't judge me on appearance or by performance or because I'm running in the elite round. Don't judge. No one has that idea of what's going on. So not all wounds are visible. And I do say that when I work with my veterans as well, PTSD, traumatic brain injury, um, depression, anxiety. There are a lot of things that plague a lot of people in life and in sports. You cannot see them. Not all wounds are visible. So whatever your definitions are, however it would be, I would like us to be open and accepted as an adaptive and as an elite racer or just as a racer or, or whatever you would like to put those definitions on there whatever those labels need to be, but accept us. People just want to be ultimately accepted no matter what their definitions might be.
0: Very well said. Not all wounds are visible.
2: But in life, I would love, I would love more people to be active and I would love more people to be open-minded about whatever the topic of the day might be. And in this case, I'm asking, we'd like to be accepted. And I've been asked this before when people find out, because I wear adaptive um, athlete gear all the time and they go, oh, tell me what that means. So often I have people tilt their head to the side and go, oh, what's wrong with you? And so I've been asked in the past, well, how would you like, like that hits me ever so slightly raw and I'm okay with it, but how should we ask them? And and so many people, and I find humor is so good that I've seen like one-legged and one-armed people wear a shirt in good humor that says, just ask. To give people permission to ask and not stare and not make judgments and not, you know, be scared to wonder about it. And, and I do want people to ask, but I do think the belief is or the intent has to be there. That it shouldn't come across as crude. The exact same word in a different tone might come across a little differently. Oh, tell me what your challenge is as opposed to what other person would go up to another person and say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? So I do think that there should be a kindness in wanting to understand and then an openness to it, openness to the conversation and not just deficiency-based what's wrong with you or a crudeness to it. So we do want to be asked. We
0: would love to have the conversation, but we would also like an openness to it. Well said. And ultimately, we are all competitors on the course, racers, racers, and we're all people in the world and we're all dealing with whatever we're dealing with and everybody's different, but we all want to be accepted and cheered on and supported.
2: Obstacle course racing, obstacles in our races have such a mirror to real life. Here's the thing. Every person you said, we're all humans. Every person has their struggles, They're not wearing it openly on their shirt. I have PTSD. I have traumatic brain injury. I have a missing limb. They're not overtly declaring what their struggle is. There is not a person on this planet right now that doesn't have some struggle of something. We all have our struggles. So I would love us to be able to be open to them and what their struggles are and be open to their experience and open to their humanity and then help them with their obstacles, help us with our obstacles and help make this a better world.
0: So that mirror back and forth,
2: we all have struggles.
0: Yes. So, Karen, before we go, if someone wants to learn about you as an athlete... Or learn more about Roswell Nutrition, how can they find you? We are on Instagram and
2: on Facebook. It is Karen Porter Adaptive Athlete is my Facebook page and my Instagram page. And it is Roswell Nutrition, exactly as that is the Facebook page and the Instagram page. And the Roswell Nutrition is for sports and wellness and it is to empower others whether through sport or positivity in any way. And my adaptive page is very, very new. And I'm only trying to tell my story to try to have a voice to not all ones are visible because there's not a lot of examples out there right now for that. So it's a very, very new page. And I would love any love and support out there to continue to spread a positive message for not all ones are visible and to encourage not only me, but others that have those struggles. So I'm out there visibly doing sports and showing that example. So my example may be through sports and how I'm taking on those obstacles. I want it to bleed over into real life. Whatever the obstacles are, let's help each other through those struggles. So please show love on Facebook and Instagram and find somebody else in the community that might have a struggle too and help them. So it's not just about me. It's, it's about let's make the world a better place.
0: I like it. Paying it forward. Pay it forward. We all can win. We all can win. Yes. God, I am so fired up from this conversation. (laughs) Well, Karen, thank you so much for being on the seasoned athlete podcast. Uh, when I met you at Spartan race world championships, I knew right away that you were someone I wanted to talk to for the show. So, uh, I look forward to hearing more stories about you kicking butt on the course and hopefully, hopefully I'll see you out there At a race in 2018. There will be many different races and many different opportunities. So whether I'm at a road race, a trail
2: race, a bodybuilding competition, or an OCR, we're going to be out there and we're going to do the best we
0: can. And I'd love to see you at any and all of them. Yes. I do hope we cross paths again. Yes, please. It was a pleasure running into you. All right, seasoned athletes. Before we go, here are my top three takeaways from Karen Porter. Number one, accept no self-imposed limitations. So many of us find ourselves creating reasons for why we can't exercise today, or why we don't see ourselves as athletes, or why we can't try something new or challenging. And sure, some of us have challenges that we have to figure out how to work with or work around. But by placing superficial limits on yourself, you may be missing out on some one-of-a-kind experiences. Be open, be willing to try, and don't place unnecessary limits on your life. Number two, treat eating and hydration just as you would your training. You wouldn't expect to go out and crush a race if you just trained one day before. But somehow many of us think that we just need to have a great pre-race meal and hydrate the day before and we're good to go. But by then, it's too late. Training for a race or sport includes what you eat and drink. Eat healthy, hydrate often, and remember, hashtag, food should happen. And number three, not all wounds are visible. You never know what challenges the person next to you on the race course or in your life is facing. So don't judge, never make assumptions, and approach everyone with an open mind and an open heart. Not all wounds are visible. Thank you again to Karen Porter. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard in this episode is from bensound.com. If hearing the stories in this episode piqued your curiosity about obstacle racing, go on over to seasonedathlete.me to download my free beginner's guide to obstacle racing. I put together a PDF that's bursting with information that will help you feel confident and ready for your first race. From race choice to gear selection to training and nutrition, it's all in there. Again, just go to seasonedathlete.me to download the beginner's guide to obstacle racing for free. Thanks again for listening. And I'll see you right back here next week with another interview with an amazing and inspirational seasoned athlete.